What is Crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming with you as promised with some NBA Finals talk. I am joined by the fantabulous Mo Dakil. You can follow him on Twitter at Mo Dakil underscore NBA. That's at M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. He's the founder of at JumpBallNet. You know his videos, one more thing. They can be found on Twitter, TikTok, IG, YouTube, the whole nine. He does podcasts for The Athletic. He is also a writer for Bleach Report and a former video coordinator for the Clippers, Spurs, and the Australians men's basketball team. We have a wonderful discussion getting really deep into the weeds of this NBA Finals matchup, what to expect from Game 6, will there be a Game 7, all that fun stuff. You will enjoy it. As always, though, if you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to this podcast. If this is the first time you're here, consider throwing us that permanent subscription. Follow us on all the socials. We are on Twitter at Hardwood Knox, TikTok at Hardwood Knox, Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. Follow and subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com, Hardwood Knox. You can also join our Discord where we have lovely basketball conversation. The link to that is in the podcast description, as are the links to our social media channels and our YouTube channel. So please, once more, don't make me beg more than this at the beginning of the podcast. Remember to subscribe, download every episode, rate, review, and help us with promotions. Tell friends, family members, random acquaintances uh, who you know like basketball about this podcast or simply just, like I said, you can help us by retweeting the promos for it. That's enough out of me. Let's get into some deep NBA Finals talk with Mo. Mo, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast and what has become an annual appearance where I promise to only pester you once a year. Lo and behold, we've reached that time of the year. How are you doing? Who is this? Yeah, that's... Listen, <laughs> if, any, I, if anyone wants to know how famous Mo has gotten, I texted him. No. And he, he, try, he tried to go with the who this, but couldn't even... He typoed it. Autocorrect. Autocorrect. I couldn't do it for two more tweets. And then finally, I was just like, fine, I'll do the podcast. Nah, I'm good, Dan. It's been a long time. How about this? You remember when we first were doing these together and we do the, the shout out to your favorite player. How about my boy, Jalen Brunson growing up? Yeah. That's like soon to be possibly near max contract. Jalen Brunson. My God. How about that? How about that? Shout out. It's too bad. These shout outs aren't a hundred percent like portending something because I've been shouting out Frank Nielakina for like four years at this point. Uh, look, Frank Nielakina made it to the conference finals. So hey, man. upward trajectory. He had a good, he had a good run. Um, how is everything going with you? Have you enjoyed these, these NBA finals, despite, I will say, and I got asked this on a show, if we've been conditioned to appreciate games that aren't actually close or classics because like the final score and sometimes the final minutes aren't super tightly contested, maybe in like previous rounds, this playoffs, I'd make that case. But for me, this series has been just like absolutely riveting despite the absence of like that you know, final 30 seconds or final minute, what's going to happen. It just sucks because the Warriors always make their run in the third quarter instead of the fourth quarter, right? <laughs> like we need them to just change it to the fourth quarter so that we can get those minutes and the, that excitement and that stuff. No, I think these finals have been great in general. And I, I kind of push back. I understand it from people saying like, oh man, like they're not as fun and things like that. We haven't gotten like the final couple minutes. Although I would say game four was damn near a classic. Uh, there were definitely moments I was watching or, and, and I do this for both teams where I'm just kind of yelling, like, what are you doing? You know, or like have a reaction of like, Oh my God. Like there were moments in the fourth quarter where I was stunned with some of those, uh, 
those things. But I think overall, this is the this is what happens when you have two solid defensive teams, too. Right? It's hard. It's hard for just and I and this isn't a shot at anybody. It's hard for just fans to fully understand what's going on on defense. And it's it, and sometimes it's hard for me where I'm like, you mean it's not just effort? No, just just a smidge, smidge more than effort. Um, the uh, ultimate thing is these have been like a fun finals. I don't know how well played it's been, but it's been fun. And we've had a lot of excitement within that and, and those things. We just haven't had the final two minutes. It's really, really tight scenario yet. And I think what's even it's been a tough, I don't know if we have too much time except for the, with the, the one day, but that was so weird going from gate three to gate four. You have the one day in between everything else is like a million days in between, but I don't know if I've had too much time to think about it, but the more I think about it, read about it, listen about it, dig into it. I understand this series less and less because it feels like it's being decided on the margins. You dig into some of like the vitals of the series and they're basically even on made threes. Uh, Golden State is shooting lights out on contested three. Boston shooting well on uncontested threes. Uh, They're about even in the paint battle. Boston's a plus 15 uh, at the free throw line right now, and they've gotten more rebounds. They've won the second chance point battle. Is it really when you look at this series and how they're down three three to two, is it really just like the turnovers here and looking at the the difference there? Is that the biggest thing or what's the the next biggest thing or the actual biggest thing that's gone into – deciding this series to date there are a couple of things but i think the the starting point is the turnovers because it's the single biggest thing and it's one of those things where the celtics just throw the ball away which by the way we we say about the warriors all the time you know there's turnovers in game five though that was was shocking yeah was shocking curry eight assists one turnover i was like what happened you know everybody was like i everybody got stuck on the oh for nine of Curry from three. And I'm like, guys, he had a pretty good game. He just didn't make it three. Yeah, but what, well is, what does that mean for his legacy though, Mo? Oh yeah. No, it's all <laughs> over. You know, um, I listen, I felt like his legacy was cemented when he won the first ever Western conference, uh, finals MVP cemented. <laughs> it's over. Everybody just stopped. No uh, one else has the magic Johnson trophy. That is no one else. It's him. Magic Johnson doesn't have the magic Johnson <laughs> magic trophy. Johnson. Let's just put it that way. That's how good Curry is. No, um, but it, it, it's going to come down to it. And the other thing, too, that's what it matters about the turnovers is it's how they're getting the turnovers. The Celtics are averaging 9.8 live ball turnovers per game. Um, later today or, or tomorrow, I'm going to have a one more thing literally about live ball turnovers. When they do that, the Warriors are able to run, get out in transition. And that means they get to attack the Celtics without having to face one of the toughest defenses in the half court. And I think that's really the series and that's what it means it's not just are they turning the ball over it's those those turnovers leads to opportunities for the celtics or excuse me for the warriors to run out and get those you know transition threes find clay wide open on the wing uh lose curry for a split second jordan Poole come running off those are the keys there and i think that's like the first major like stress point you got to watch for yeah and look to that point golden state in this series after uh Live ball turnovers, 1.53 points per possession, I believe. That is that is high for anyone who who cares. I did see Chris and Narsu did an interesting thread on this about the types of turnovers Boston was committing and how it's easy for us to say, just do a better job of taking care of the ball. But that's so many of the 
the turnovers has also just been like these lost balls that come from a shortcoming when you look at their ball handlers. Is this just something then that might be ingrained into the personnel that they have that we can't expect them to overcome, not just this series, but even maybe looking at the the overall makeup of this roster? Well, I think it's the starting point of like, look, Jalen Brown needs to become a better dribbler. It's not going to happen between games five and six. You know, it's going to be something he's going to have to work on in the offseason. I mean, it's definitely a flawed part of the flaw that they have. You know, it's in the same way that the Warriors will turn the ball over going for some sort of flashy pass. Um, and and that's going to be the, the the situation. But there's also a matter of, of valuing and understanding of taking care of the ball like, Go go to a probe dribble, which is dribble underneath the basket instead of just trying to force a pass out, you know, and, and or picking up your dribble at the wrong spot and things like that. It's it's as simple as 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 that. I'm I'm with Christian in in, in the sense of it's not a it's not something that you're just going to be able to fix, but you got to cut down on it. It's that simple. Because sometimes it is just these turnovers are as bad as just like you're just handing them the ball. I'd rather you punt it out of bounds and then get to go set your defense versus just being able to uh, uh, just, here you go. Let's see what you get. Cause now you, you're in a, just, it puts you in a bad position and it's it, the live ball turnovers. You know, that's a great stat that you just kicked out there. Uh, Dan, that I wish I had for my, my video, but like, that's it. You know, like you're out of position, you're scrambling at that point, And that's when the warriors are going to take advantage of you. So, you know, we can say all that stuff and it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. So is winning an NBA championship. You got to do the stuff. You got to make sure you take care of the ball. You just can't have 18 turnovers in a game. The other thing that I think anecdotally for me has been maddening about the Celtics is all postseason. It feels like, and this happened during the regular season too. It feels like if they're close to a lead, have a lead, the game's tied or whatever, they're like playing to kill clock. And oh, God. what is it about? Like, is that by design? Is it something in this series Golden State's defense is de- doing? And when you when you break it down, I think it's like 23% of their, their shots have come inside seven seconds of the shot clock for this series. That number jumps to like 30% in the fourth quarter. I get fourth quarters are different, what it could mean when things are contested. But like, we also haven't seen a ton of crunch time here either. So it's not a matter of them being in these high leverage moments you know, super frequently or incessantly and trying to slow things down. So what is it about their offense where it just feels like they're not getting into anything or doing anything until there's like 12 seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah. This is going to turn into a promo for one Mo thing. Uh, it's their, it's their offense in general. Um, it's, it's not the warriors. I don't, and that's not to take anything away from the warriors. They did the same thing in game seven against Miami and almost lost that game because of that. Right. They go over five, I think in the, in the final three minutes of that game and blew a 13 point lead. And it's it's they go to it so often. And when their offense turns into let's burn clock and then kind of find a, a, a get a one on one shot with Tatum or Brown, you know, it, in those final seconds of the shot clock, it just puts too much pressure on them. Not saying that they can't come through, not saying they can't make those shots. It just makes it easier for the defense to defend them. Their offense is at its best when they drive and kick, when they get ball movement and cutting and things like that, Jalen Brown getting an attack a second side is unbelievable. And I think that's really where he's, he's really solid at, you know, I think there's there, I call it Jekyll and Hyde. That's their offense. The Jekyll side is the ball gets moving. It's a ball movement. The, the, everything looks good, but then, you know, Mr. Hyde shows up and it's slow it down. 
let's get one-on-one shots, you know, and then you have guys like Marcus Smart. He hits a spot up three, which is great. Then he's thinking he's hot, and now he's going to take two isolation step back threes with 12 seconds on the shot clock in a game. And you're just throwing your hands up in the air going like, well, hell, dude, that's that's a terrible shot for us. I don't care that you were kind of open. It's it's that's not the shot we need. And I think they have that habit and it's what scares me. And to be honest, Dan, it's what made me change my finals prediction. Before I I watched it and I just said, like, man, if they're not going to be able to play offense at the end of games like this, like they're not winning the championship. And I had them pegged to win the championship after they beat the Bucks. I had Golden State in seven, came close to picking Golden State in five. I'm glad I went with the latter, even if Boston. Oh, won. I would have yelled at you if you picked Golden State in five. I have them in seven at the at the beginning of this series, but a lot of it had to do with more Boston just scaring me with their offense. Yeah, that was what I wrote in. Uh, I don't know if you did your prediction at Bleacher Report, like as part of the panel, but I just wrote like Golden State's offense has more layers to it than Boston's at this point, and that's just what I trust a little bit and, more. I, and, and and there are a couple of other points too, right? Like they actually have a little bit of scoring coming off the bench. Like who do you trust more? And I don't feel comfortable with either of them, but Peyton Pritchard and Derek White or Jordan Poole, right? Like Jordan, you know Poole, Jordan Poole is going to get his shots up, <laughs> especially at the end of third quarters. God damn it, Boston. Can you stop him at the end of the very final seconds? I will say kudos to him for putting it up. I am so just, I get really, if we're talking about NBA pet peeves, we have, it's not even private data that only teams have. And even if that was the only thing available, trust that they're smart enough to look at it. There's public data where heaves and these final, like, you know, second shots are taken out of your field goal percentage. Throw the shot up at the buzzer, damn it. I'm not here for these players. A lot of them entrenched stars, and Stephen Curry's not one of them. That's also why I love Steph. Just throw the ball at the hoop. Come on. I'm with you in the playoffs in the regular season. Cause contracts are often tied to like field goal percentages and things like that. Hey guys, go get your money. <laughs> that, okay. Yeah. That's, all right. So, so Don't... that's my argument, but you're right. But more importantly in that final, like, I don't think we've made a big enough deal of this. That shot Jordan Poole hit at the end of the third quarter in game five changed, changed everything. If you think about it this way, Boston finally won a third quarter in the series. And, and and that three didn't change the who won the third quarter, but it changed the whole momentum. And what happened was the Al Horford goes in crashing for an offensive rebound. Grant Williams swipes at the ball, doesn't get it. And then Boston just stops. Meanwhile, Poole just runs along the sideline. And I didn't even think Wiggins was going to get him the ball in time. And he gets the shot off with the narrowest of margin. And now, without instead of going into the fourth quarter up two, Boston's going into the fourth quarter down one. So you finally win a third quarter and you blow it in the final three seconds. And that's that changed everything because then that carried over into the start of the fourth quarter where the, the Warriors went on a mini run right there to start it. And I think, to me, that's going to be a moment, you know, if, if – the Warriors end up winning this, especially if they win it in game six. To me, that's going to be the, the moment where it, everything turned against Boston. Not so fun fact. I was not watching that live because I was busy climaxing on a replay of the Draymond Green bounce pass when he thread the needle. I think that was like the possession beforehand. I couldn't, I had to go back and rewatch that. Uh, Jordan Poole's ridiculous though. The other element of Boston's offense or one of the other elements I want to ask you about 
I, it's received enough attention, and I do think he's done a lot of good things as a playmaker. Uh, and there's also been the scheduled tweets every other game. Jace, Jason Tatum has made the leap. Um, that's just consistent. Look, he's only he's only 19, so so kudos to him. But he's <laughs> shooting a higher percentage on above the break threes, 51.4%, than he's shooting in the restricted area. He's 50% there, and he's on like 31% from two in general. His mid-range breakdown is ghastly, 4 of 20 for mid-range, 8 of 28 in the paint outside the restricted area. What is – has anything Golden State done gone into that? Is it a lot of Tatum looks gassed at points in the game? What has gone into just that two-point plunge for him? It's a, it's a little bit of everything. I think, you know, I don't know how much of his shoulder is still bothering him. My dog scratching me again. Come here, buddy. You might get the dog on the podcast. Come here, please. That's the real guest that we asked for, Come but here, you were the one Come that on. showed up. So, well, some, he doesn't have thumbs, so he can't really do all the work. All right. Come here, buddy. Right. Here we go. My little, Aww. my little pup. Um, well, named well, after. Well, not named after Luca Doncic, but his name is Luca. Um, the foster and rescue named him Luca and I was fostering him originally. So I wasn't sure I was going to adopt him. And the uh, uh, old, you know, after telling everybody for a month, his name was Luca. I didn't feel like changing it. Um, I actually, I did know it wasn't cause it's spelled L U C A. Correct. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the ultimate thing is when we're talking about Jason Tatum struggles here, you got to give credit first to Andrew Wiggins. He's done a great job. Clay Thompson rotating over a lot on these drives has been really good. Uh, a, a, another layer of defense. I just think Golden State has done a great job defensively on him, showing an extra body a lot of times when he has opportunities. And then there's things with him. He's not going quick enough. If he gets to isolation on Steph, he's got to go right away because the Warriors are going to send help. And he's not doing it. And I think that's kind of been the the – the difference there. And then this is the wild stat and, you know, shoulder injury aside, who knows if it's, if it's just really a stinger, it's the longest stinger in, in, in injury history. Um, he hasn't had a dunk dance since game six of the Eastern conference finals. I did not even process that. Like, cause I remember just thinking to myself the other day going like, huh? Like when was the last time I saw Jason Tatum dunk? And I just assumed he had one or two dunks and, in the finals, you know, random, whatever, even just an easy wide open layup or something. And I had to go all the way back. And I've, the last time was, it was like the second quarter, I think in the game six. And I'm like, damn, wow. you know, and I think that's a, that's something, you know, maybe it's a shoulder, maybe it's fatigue being tired and things like that. But that says a lot because being aggressive at the rim makes a big difference. And I think those, those are things that are really going to matter for him. And he's got to get, I mean, the Celtics aren't winning anything if he doesn't get back on track. Moving on to the Warriors, what have you made of, and this is more than just this series, Andrew checkbook win Wiggins's transformation. And I'm asking you this as a, you're you, one of the best people to ask about this because you were a video, video coordinator. I do think a lot of it has just been his role is optimized. Like it's more streamlined, not as complicated on offense. Uh, they're asking him to do a lot of, you know, I feel like his defensive responsibility isn't what it probably should be. Like when you look at his assignments, yes, but maybe overall isn't like when you're looking at off the ball or some of the moves they're asking him to make on rotations, isn't what you'd expect from a peak golden state wing at points. But I'm, I'm also just wondering 
Is there any element of just stability here? He's had the same coach in Golden State. I guess the supporting cast has changed, but just that continuity, how valuable is that when, especially when you're just comparing it to his time in Minnesota and the amount of unrest that was everywhere in that organization? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors when you kind of compare it to, to his time in Minnesota. Stability being a major one in terms of just the same coach and same front office, you know, and everybody kind of it has stayed relatively the same for the most part. And core, I mean, it's been the same core for the Warriors for the most part. Granted, a lot of those guys were injured, but they were around. I think the, the role is a big difference, right? You're going from being the second option of a team and in, in, uh, Minnesota and probably getting the other team's best perimeter defender on you mm-hmm. versus going, going to golden state. And now you're, I mean, all right, even let's just say clay's not himself. So you're like the third option, like you're like your second or third option. You're getting the second or third best perimeter defender on you. You're not getting the best perimeter defender on you. I think it kind of opens up stuff. And then he's gotten better himself. Like he's learned to play in the system. He's doing a, unbelievable job rebounding right it's like what 29 rebounds over two games now like he's like he's he's just juiced it up and he's averaging like 8.8 per 36 minutes after averaging like 3.7 per 36 in the regular season or whatever it is that's just wild yeah and then and then his defense on tatum like we just talked about has been really impressive enough to bother tatum and 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 put him into difficult spots and i think you know when you you kind of just look at the transformation it's it's more just yeah, like it's it's also just starting to click. He's in a different role that's more he's more suited for. And sometimes that's the case. I think that's why I get nervous around the draft time, you know, c- calling a guy a, a bust or something like that. I'm like, oh, well, like what was the situation he was in? And and I'll take a cheap shot here. Uh, if you're the Sacramento Kings, like oh you get drafted by the Kings for the most part. How many guys have they truly developed? Like the Aaron Fox is probably their 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 best development guy right now and he's kind of plateaued a little bit last season looked better with Sabonis when when after the trade let's see how that kind of plays out next season but everybody else they draft is almost like okay they never pan out and part of that at a certain point you have to look at the organization and say like what are you guys doing well new coach every two years which means a whole new staff a whole new player development staff regime 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 Regime, regime change. Sorry, it took me go. a minute. Took me, took me a minute. Several regime changes, you know, over the over the course of the past few years, like changes the direction of the stuff. You're drafting a kid and you're not putting him in a place to succeed. And I think those, you know, it's 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 that challenge with those guys, you know. And I think um, Donovan Mitchell isn't Donovan Mitchell if he got drafted somewhere else. You know, it's the right opportunity sort of paid off. And now Wiggins is now in the right situation for him. And I think him being kind of a, a supporting cast member or like a, a third option is really what he's suited for at best instead of what he was in Minnesota. And, and you know, it's not a, I mean, just the way the scenario played out and now he's grown as a player. Like it's fun to watch. You is he going to cr- win the finals MVP? He should win the finals MVP. That's, that's the direction to go with this. <laughs> yeah. Steph didn't make a three in game five. I don't know how you vote him finals MVP at all at this point. And look, you mentioned the stuff the Warriors have done as a team to make life difficult on Jason Tatum Uh, possessions in which Wiggins has guarded guarded Tatum. The Celtics is a team. So I'm not going off just the shot tracking data. The Celtics is a team 0.8 points per possession in those situations. Just that that's good for the Warriors, really bad for the Celtics. So it's been 
and look, his season's been a trip, by the way, Wiggins. Goes from, oh, is he going to play because he won't get vaccinated to all-star starter yeah, to – I forgot all about that. So now he's – what, he's been the Warriors' second-best player in this. Like, we don't need to get into ranking who's been the most valuable for the Warriors, but, like, we're at a point where he's been the second-best or second-most reliable player for the Warriors in the in the freaking finals. Like, that is quite the progression of events over the past 10 yeah. months or whatever it's been. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable, kind of just how he's grown into all of that stuff. Like it's in a, it's been a roller coaster of a year for him, and you know, good for him to just kind of hold on to that, and then good for just the organization, stuck with him, believed with him, and 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 I think they've kind of found found something in him. We'll see what happens, contract extension time, but you know, it'll it'll be a, a interesting uh, scenario. But right now, they're a game away from winning the finals, and large part Steph Curry. But some of that's also Andrew Wiggins. You can't deny that. This is the question I've been dying to ask you. How many stars did you give Draymond Green's podcasts? I give all all podcasts that I rate five stars. Um, you know, Except I just for don't this rate one. I saw your one star review that said if I could give it a half star review, I would. No, I said if I wanted to give it negative stars. Oh, of I this one, um, it was more just you know because I just I want to level out the I want to bring down the competition. Maybe that's what I need to start doing is just start rating everybody's uh, a one star. Everybody that competes against me, whether they're good or not. Uh, you would Lakers fans have done that to this podcast more than a few times. So you shocking there might be something shocking. Too. Laker fans being petty, shocking. You know, they, they, they can't realize, you know, that they've uh, put themselves in a bad situation after winning in, the uh, in, championship. In their defense, I talked about Kyle Kuzma. I don't even remember what I said, but that was the, that was the, that's what incited it. But actual Draymond Green, the podcast stuff was always ridiculous. I also think he's ridiculous with it by claiming he's new media, but he's also not media. Please just shut up already about that. Um, I'm all for players being in the media. If you want to call yourself new media, fine, but you can't say I'm new media and then say I'm not media. Like, let's have right. some consistency here. You, you literally can't say the word me. I'm new media and but I'm not media like you <laughs> right. just can't. It doesn't make it doesn't work. Right. You, you are correct. Has the criticism of him been when you're looking at the actual play on the court, not what he's doing in his hotel room, completely sober, just recording podcasts. But the criticism of him on the court, has it been overblown or or, or more fair this series? No, I think it's been fair. I think just his on the court stuff. I think, you know, he hasn't been very good. Now, he was a lot better in game five, you know, and I think, you know, my assessment was after game two, I think he got caught up in the noise of everything, of all the antics of game two. And that kind of led to him being out of it a little bit in game three and to a degree in game four. But like game five, he kind of looked like himself. And part of that actually is the Celtics' fault. And this is what I mean by it. They changed their defensive coverage and decided, all right, Steph dropped 43 on us. We have to crowd him. Let's put two on him. Let's go to work and let's, let's, you know, really kind of make his life a little bit difficult. Well, that opened up opportunities for Draymond to pick and roll. They found, you know, Curry finds Draymond for a layup. It opened up the fake handoff, turn the corner dunk for, for Draymond. He only had eight points, but they were a significant eight points. And then he kind of got everything rolling with those things. I think there was a, uh, this is the Draymond we kind of come to expect a little bit. I think defensively, he's still been pretty solid. Um, there's great stuff, uh, of him kind of reading the, reading the offense and immediately diagnosing what needs to be, what needs to happen and instantaneously, you know, being the solution 
at the same time. And I think that's one of those things when you're watching Draymond that makes him special. I just think he, he kind of got lost for a couple of games. I mean, hell, his own mom tweeted it. Now, it was a joke, but like his own mom tweeted it. Who and can why are you tweeting at Draymond's mom to ask what's wrong with Draymond in the finals? Because that's what she was presumably responding to. I just I, I believe it. I like I would I believe people are doing it. I just my mind would never go that way where it's I'm going to treat it, tweet at Draymond's mom to see what's wrong with him. What are you trying to accomplish there? Yeah, no, that's that's just Twitter. We know how that goes. We tweet at you know, whatever. Somebody tweets that stuff. But back to the real important stuff, which is Draymond on the court. You know, I think the, the, the thing that's really important is his passing. And like he kind of really does open up the offense and a lot of the off ball movements of things. And I think that's going to be something, you know, they need him on the court. And part of that is they need him to kind of be more like 10 percent calmer. Right. Like I know he amps it up to like 35, but like, yo, dude, just play at a 33. Like, <laughs> let's just go from there. And I think they can be they can be just fine. Um, but the criticism has been fair of him on the court. Like, I just thought there were there had been times where he was just straight bad and he wasn't looking to attack. And it's not like I need Draymond to score 15 points. No, I just need Draymond to take the open shots when it's there. The game four pass to Looney that ultimately led to uh, a bucket off the short roll. And everybody's like, that's why you can't, you know, that's Draymond. I go, yo, he didn't look at the rim at all, that possession. And the real, the smart play would have been for Al Horford to just drop to Looney and then jump forward to Draymond on the, on the shot attempt because he didn't want to shoot that. And I think that's the important thing to watch for in game six. Is he going to be more willing to shoot that and just show that threat of shooting it versus uh, constantly looking to pass out of it. You had just mentioned something, too, that I didn't think about until Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrows pointed out to me and then Jared Dubin of various places tweeted about it, where the, the drop coverage Boston was playing against Steph was widely panned because of how great Steph was playing. And look, by the way, Steph was still like having to create all of his own looks. When you just look at his self um, made self-created bucket percentage. It is worlds higher than it was, not just in the regular season, but the previous three rounds. So it wasn't like life was easy for him, but it was just, oh, why aren't you blitzing him or throwing more bodies at him? Well, as they point out, you point out, it opens up the, the, the playmaking aspect of getting Draymond space in the short roll to decision-make. Is there, by getting away from that and changing the way they defended Steph in game five, is there any other benefit aside from the Draymond stuff to the Warriors there as well when you're looking at their supporting cast? It, it opened everything up. I mean, part of the opportunities that Wiggins got where he was phenomenal in this game and it became a Wiggins game was because they were putting two on Steph. You know, there was a post-split action where they jumped Steph at, at, on the catch and Wiggins slips the, to, slips the screen and Curry hits him. Like, it opened up driving lanes for everybody. Everybody got free looks out of that stuff. And I think to me, that's not how I would have wanted to play. I would have stuck with, we're going to just make sure everybody else doesn't score. Cause Steph went 0 for nine and you still lost. Like, and granted he had a good game. You can't lose that. Mm -hmm. If you're the Boston Celtics and you get Curry to go 0 for nine from three, like, let's just be honest. When is that happening again? What are the yeah. odds you're going to get him to do or, or even go two for eight? In game six, like I think well, that's slim. He's never won a finals MVP, so I'd say the chances are pretty high. Conference finals MVP is all <laughs> he needed, Dan. We've discussed this already. Uh, incredible. Uh, the other thing that's weird 
or it's not weird, but, and I phrased it to you wrong in the outline I sent you, but like the Celtics, when it's you okay, look at I their, didn't bother reading it. I figured you wouldn't, but I always like to send it in case people, people want to. Um, otherwise you get in a situation like me where I went on a, a Cavs podcast the other day and they asked me what I thought about like Cleveland's rebrand. And it was just like, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't paying attention to rebrand stuff. I didn't even know the Cavs had a rebrand. So I had to look it up on the spot. But anyway, the Robert Williams minutes without Al Horford have been killer. And they're not always small. Like Grant Williams can be on the floor in those situations. Is that just sort of how much time maybe Horford is seen? And like those numbers, are they swayed by Horford having spent so much time in drop switching on Steph Curry? Or is there really something to what, RW3 is doing and would you they can't extend his minutes more with his knee and he's played 30 plus the past two games but are you maybe looking at those specific lineup combinations a little bit more leading into game six and potentially game seven of Rob Williams as your five without Al Horford yeah I mean that was the other thing they made this they played more big in game five are you gonna go sorry I'm talking to my dog you're gonna go there we go he left he got tired of you Dan um it was off the rails with the with the Steph. He's he's fed up with the Steph legacy talk. He's like, it. come on, guys. He's no way he's that great. <laughs> um, I argue with my dog all the time. My dog hates basketball. He just goes to sleep. Um, the he's like the, Luka Doncic in the off season. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He just looks at me going like, "You gonna feed me yet?" Um, the ultimate thing is the weird thing in Game Five was they how often they played big together. Because to me, they have the better small ball lineup. For sure. They can beat the Warriors in small ball. Like that's the thing that's 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 wild to me. And I think when you play Williams and Horford out there together, you can, you, Steph's kind of like great. This is awesome. Two bigs to target, you know, and and mm-hmm. and and so on. And one of them's got a bad wheel. Like yeah, let's go. Now, granted, there were opportunities. There were moments where like Williams did a good job. They were up higher on the screens in Game Five and really again pressuring Steph a little bit more. But it opens up more opportunities. I was surprised how they played big that long. I'm with you. I think they will play small again for most of game six because that's their best lineup. And it's something that I don't think the Warriors can contend with that well. Like the Warriors, oddly enough, probably are better served playing big more so than the uh, 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 Celtics. Yeah, I mean, they've punted on the, the pool party lineup or whatever it is. And even look, the most interesting, like, and it's not even a small lineup, but it's when you they pulled Draymond and they put Gary Payton the second in. And so Kavon Looney's in the middle with Clay Wiggins, GP two and Steph is a lineup that I think is intriguing for them. Uh, Are there any adjustments that have been made by either side this series that you've particularly loved or particularly disliked slash haven't agreed with? Well, I'm still yelling and upset about drop coverage. I just think you can't do that against Steph. Like, and I get everybody saying like, no, no, it's not as bad. No, it's bad. And more importantly, like you need to at least show Steph you're up on the screen before you start retreating. And a lot of times, even when they're up, they begin retreat as soon as he comes off. And I just think to me, that's a little bit uh, wild. I think one thing we probably haven't even given Kerr enough credit for, because I was shocked when he got put in the game, but Nemanja Belisa has held up very well. You got to give Kerr credit for that. You know, they've gone at him at a couple of times and he's ended up stripping them. And if ever there's a sign of like, yo, the Celtics can't dribble, Nemanja Belisa is picking dudes clean. Um, I think those are those are some of the uh, the small rotation adjustments from that. For me, the the big thing Kerr has done is after Game Three, where he he pl- basically benched Looney for the whole fourth quarter. 
he's played him a lot more since then. And I think that's paid off. Like, I think there's just been a lot of small tweaks here and there that are going to bore everybody. But overall, there's just been a, a, a couple of stuff. And it, it, at the end of the day, though, it's just drop coverage. Every time they're in drop coverage about against Steph, just understand I'm somewhere screaming at a TV. Noted. Duly noted. You're the coach now of both teams. What's Even if we've already discussed it, what's one adjustment you're making for each heading into game six? And I'm rooting for a game seven because I love chaos and high stakes moments. Well, I predicted Warriors in seven, so I'm rooting I'm also, for that. I'm just, rooting just, for my own agenda as well. For, for my prediction, agenda. right. I'm, I'm full-heartedly being selfish. That is why I was a Phoenix Suns fan for most of this season. I, I predicted them to win the title in the preseason, and uh, I felt not terrible about it until that game seven against Dallas. That was rough. Um, the For the Celtics, it's what I said. Play small longer, and, and, and don't slow down on offense. Get get more ball movement, run more sets, get more actions, get more involvement of everybody, get the defense moving. When you've stuck playing a lot of one-on-one stuff, it plays right into the Warriors' hands. You don't want that. Get the action moving. So for me, for the Celtics, play smaller and play faster. For the Warriors, I would look at it more, I, I, I don't want to say almost the exact opposite, of play bigger, da-da-da. Um, I, 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 I think for the Warriors, understand that their first they're going to come out fired up with their first punch to start this game just stay the course there and you're you constantly just have continue to do the offense you have been doing which is constantly moving and putting pressure on them and run every chance you get in transition off of misses off of turnovers even off of makes if there's an opportunity to get up and get the ball up the court quickly and attack quickly you got to do it every chance you can because that defense is still really stifling who is one non-star, like non-prominent player from each team that that you're watching heading into Game Six and again maybe Game Seven? I think for the Warriors, it's um, besides Looney, who I think you know is is pretty obvious. I think it's Gary Payton the second. Yeah. He's come in defensively. Oh, you got so happy there! I love uh, Gary Payton the second. There you go. Great story with everything and and all of that of him coming through. Um, but he's come in and has come up with some pretty big stops strips and things like that has hit some shots six to eight. I think from the field uh, in game five, you know, uh, knocking down one, three and, and just small cuts and things like that. He's got to continue to be effective both on the offensive end and defensive end. And they're not going to guard him on offense. So he's got to make them pay for that with timely cuts and hitting a couple of threes for the Celtics. It's two guys and it's, it's two guys as if we can morph them into one and it's Derek white and Peyton Pritchard. And, Man, and if they were the same player, if you just like combine them into one player. Oh, they'd be, they'd be a max player. Uh, not max, maybe a little less, but ultimately really good. I think the the you need those guys to come through because right now the Celtics only have five guys. And I think that's the hard thing. Like Grant Williams has not been very good this series. I don't think he's going to get any better. We've seen flashes from White and Pritchard, and, and those guys need to kind of stay consistent. White? Started out game four really well. Ten points in the first half. Sucked the second half. And, you know, they those guys need to provide a punch either defensively or offensively, but they need to bring something for the Celtics in it, it, to justify their minutes and to just buy time for some of those guys to get a couple minutes here and there. Derek White especially just because the defensive pressure he provides is invaluable to them. And I thought, for some reason, I after game five, I thought he played like 12 or 13 minutes 
it turns out he played 20 plus and like i guess that was the extent to which you just didn't feel him on the court during that time yeah no that and that's the thing right like those hurt those no minutes at a random time kind of kill you like you're you're there but we don't feel you those those really kill teams this is the clickbait question of the podcast uh, is steph curry the finals mvp at this moment and is there anyone whether it's the warriors blowing this lead whether it's someone on the warriors coming up and you serving him is anyone close enough to where he wouldn't win the finals mvp at this juncture through five games is Steph Curry. Again, everybody's going to harp on 0 for 9, but you got to understand what he did in game four. He went into Boston on uh, and, and dropped 43 in a must win for the team, right? They go down 3-1. This thing's over. Yeah, done. You know, it's, it, this series is done. Like, they're, they're not coming back from that. And he came in there, and you can sense it from the first quarter. When he hits the three, everybody's talked about it. When he hits the three and then runs to the other end of the court to talk trash to the Celtics bench and fans before going to join his team in the timeout, that's not Steph Curry. That's Draymond Green. But that's something like he set the tone in that. And that was a monster moment right there and and did everything in that game. And some of his shots he hit were incredibly difficult. I think that's, to me, like a defining moment there. Now, it who knows what happens in game six or seven. Like, you know, we, we joked about it on, on one of the million freaking things I'm on. Um, the, how's that for self-promotion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm on a lot of stuff. Enjoy. Um, just, just stick around long enough. You'll probably hear me talking. Uh, if say he has a terrible game and the Warriors close out game six and Wiggins has 40 points. Now you're in an interesting conversation um, in that scenario. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Steph's going to end up, uh, being the finals MVP. And I think, you know, just looking at it through five games, he's been the best and most consistent player. And I believe a smart guy on Bleacher Report might have wrote an article about that. I don't know if you know him, Dan. No, I, you said smart. So I definitely don't, I definitely don't know him. That would probably be, it's not me. That would have been the single nicest thing you've ever said to me. If that's the case, the final thing I wanted to ask you about this, and it's getting out in front a little bit, but how much, if you end up losing this series as either team, how much do you react to the manner in which you lose, where it's like, if you look at the Celtics, like if they lose this series, is it something where they look at their roster and say, okay, we really need like more of a game manager ball handler, or if it's the Warriors and they blow this lead. And I'm not saying, oh, you need to trade Jonathan Kaminga, but how much do you then look at, okay, well, we might need some higher end veteran help if they're available and actually look on the trade market because you've come so close. The argument could be, you don't need to do anything wholesale, but if it's something that's sort of reoccurring where it looks like the Warriors aren't athletic enough, or the Celtics turnover ball handling problems and you having worked for teams in the past, like how much stock do you place into the, the, like the, the unflattering results of a series at this level, we're talking about the finals there. Like, this is it. You were one of the final two teams. It doesn't matter who wins. Both teams are going to need to make adjustments to their roster. Right. And I know which is like, I, I, there's no, I don't put stock in. We won. We shouldn't have to do anything else. Right. Like, It'd be different, like, if the Celtics win the championship, you're not doing anything to the core. You lose the championship, you're not doing anything to the core, right? Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, those are your guys. You're going to roll with them. Marcus Smart, you're probably going to roll with him. You need to upgrade the edges a little bit, especially your bench, because you basically have turned into five guys, you know. Uh, yeah, five. Who said this? Jason Tatum has played, like, a 1,000 minutes in the playoffs already? That's, like... It's absurd. Yeah. You know, you need, you, you need to kind of get, a, you need to find a little bit more 
depth on the bench, regardless how this series plays out. For the Warriors, you need to find more athleticism. That's the one thing I watch, you know, when they're – the Celtics are the better team. The Warriors just have the best player in Steph Curry. That might not be the case next season. And that's not a shot at Curry. It's just a matter of like, yo, he's getting old. And you, and you need to find more athleticism along the wing. It's surprising how small they are. You know, it's it's Wiggins and 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 Clay are 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 big, but you know, obviously Steph, you're playing pool, you're playing Peyton, like they're small at the yeah. end of the day. And I think that's something you're watching with that, going like, damn, all right, well, um, you kind of need to size up, and maybe that's Kaminga and Moses Moody making a leap, and you don't need to do much. Maybe it's James Wiseman, you know, actually playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole that's a whole other podcast of its own um the james wiseman ramp up wasn't the phrasing that will live in infamy whatever it was i mean no i'm not gonna do it uh the that's that's growth by the way self-restraint right there that's growth i'm waiting um, for you to slip in some timberwolf slander before we close out no if i didn't do it when we did the the wiggins conversation i'm not even doing that now i've i've, I've grown as a human being dan but i think there's there's win or lose both teams need to make those adjustments because here's the other thing Western Conference next year, going to be unbelievable. Bloodbath, yeah. Assuming the Clippers are healthy, that's, a you know, Kawhi and PG coming back. Yeah, that's kind of a difference maker. Jamal Murray coming back, that's kind of a difference maker for Denver. Who knows what happens with Michael Porter Jr.'s back. And then in the East, the East is wild. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in Brooklyn or Philly, but, I mean, Giannis is still in the East, and he's probably the – you know, right up there and the, always in the conversation for best player in the NBA. And I think, you know, you're, you're, you got a lot of teams to watch for. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think both those teams can't rest on their laurels, whether they win or lose this, they both have to make adjustments. That is a great point, especially about the the Western conference, the nuggets being fully, fully healthy in the Clippers and uh, Timberwolves fans got mad at me and claimed I didn't watch some Timberwolves fans claimed I didn't watch any of their games by saying, just assuming the Clippers are going to be better next year. Uh, the Nuggets. Okay, one of, one you got me Nuggets. into this. You got What's me that? into this. You, you pulled me in before you go to the Nuggets. I'm just saying, a healthy Kawhi Leonard and a healthy Paul George would destroy the crap out of this Minnesota Timberwolves team. They would crush them. the The argument was, which I don't know how you relate this to me not watching games, but it was, is that we can't just assume the Clippers and Nuggets are going to be healthy, which is fine. One of them is the odds are one of them is going to make it through the season pretty healthy. More, more importantly, I can't assume Minnesota is going to be healthy. You can't assume health for anybody. No. It's just this is the way the NBA goes, right? Like, just look at it this way. Before 2019, Clay Thompson was the bastion of, of good health for the most part. Yeah. Rarely missed games. Dude had to miss like 3,000 days. I don't know whatever it was. It was almost it was 1,000 like, days. It was, like, it was, it was like put it in that context, it's so long. <laughs> it's 900 days. Like his first major injury led to a second major injury. So every team is an injury away. So like using that as the argument of like, well, we can't predict health. Like, yeah, we can't predict you guys are going to be healthy either. You know, we're, we're, every, every team's a tweak away from, from something terrible. So like just looking at the rosters of the two teams and, you know, if bo- just assuming both sides are healthy, which is all we can really do. Yeah. The Clippers beat the crap out of Minnesota. That was the only goal of this podcast to get you to say something negative about Minnesota. Is there anything you, else? You got me. I was growing as a human at, being. At the buzzer too. 
at the buzzer. Is there anything else about this series, though, that I didn't ask you about or that you think is being under-discussed that, that we need to touch upon quickly? God, I, we hit on everything, I think. You know, um, One thing that maybe is, is fun to talk about is the crowd. I yeah. thought, I mean, the crowd in Boston is, is, is very impressive, but yes, ruthless. And yeah. Okay. The cursing and things like that. I find it funny when players are upset about the cursing, considering how much they curse on the court. Wait, I'm sorry. Clay coming on the podium after Draymond says he plays like shit in front of his son and talking about how Boston fans are cursing in front of the children, Clay for the children, Thompson. Uh, that was just like, I loved that moment. I mean, no, but Clay has never cursed. Never. Like, come on, dog. Like, no, it's it's like I've heard so much worse, you know, on the court and things like that. And I think there's an element of that. But give I want to give credit and I want to give credit to the, the the fans at Chase. You know, they, they were really into game five. I had questions after game one and two, but game five, like you could really feel them and their presence and that stuff. And I think it's it's been fun. So, you know, for the most part, like I think the the home court advantage has, has been a little bit real um to a degree it hasn't necessarily played out in wins because both teams won on the road but i mean boston gets lit man and i mean lit like i was in the city for game four and that a nine o'clock start which this is my first time experiencing that that's weird as hell um on a friday then people's was boozing at like five maybe even four like the bars around the arena had like lines around like or, 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 or lapping the block almost it was like going to disneyland or something they were boozing and 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 i'm impressed they were able to roll into the stadium at nine just ready to go and it is fun and i think that's been a fun story to kind of continue to push on i would like to see more creative chance though like yes Warrior, warriors fans like maybe going five star podcast when draymond green is at the foul line or something or Celtics going one star podcast or something it doesn't have to be like f you draymond we can come up with something a little bit more creative at they this point they should read right? his ads when he's at the free throw line <laughs> they should yell out his ads at his free throw line i don't know who, who sponsors those pods or whatever but like you know whatever state farm sucks <laughs> <laughs> you know just like throw them off Mo, this was great as always. I so appreciate your time, despite what I may actually say to you behind the scenes. Uh, are you able to tell our listeners where they can follow you and all the great work, the millions of things that you are doing? Listen, you can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, even TikTok. This old man is on TikTok at Mo Dekeel underscore NBA, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. Um, and that's where you'll find, like, I tweet out all my stuff. Follow me on Twitter and you'll find everything from there. Mo, this was great. Thank you so much again. And as I'm sure you know, I will be pestering you again in the future. So please maybe save my number this time. No, I'm going to try to delete it this time. <laughs>